Hello there. Welcome along to the podcast Sport and Life. It is Friday, the 6th of November, if you're in the UK. Hope you managed to have a good bonfire night at home or saw some fireworks out your window. Obviously, very much uh, restricted in terms of the public stuff because of the lockdown that's back in place. And I hope you're handling that well. I hope your health is well in context of coronavirus and, and everything else, and also anxiety and insecurity over the financial picture, the economic picture, and uh, everything else in between, just the, the sense of, I guess, lack of control. But thank you to for you hitting on the button. Thank you to the sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high-quality customer service and installations. Love my Bang Olufsen headphones and also uh, do a range of equipment, Bang Olufsen there uh, with the team, but also through Serene AV can source other types, other brands, whatever's bespoke for you, whatever suits your needs. So get in touch with uh, B&O Cheltenham through their social media channels or the Bang Olufsen Cheltenham website and also uh, get the numbers there and get in contact with Jason Briggs and his team. Thank you to cytoplan.co.uk as well. Food-based supplements, really believing in them for a couple of decades and, and enjoying the new Immune Complete supplement in, in particular, which has vitamin D3 in there, crucially at the moment, as we head into winter in the Northern Hemisphere, and selenium and zinc, because uh, kind of reading about it, share my sort of father's concern that perhaps the selenium and zinc is low in the soil samples here, my dad being Dr. Mark Draper, a practitioner and nutritionist, not just a, a random guy who's got a conviction about selenium and zinc. Uh, but anyway, if you go to cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N, dot co dot uk you can get a 10 percent discount with my code draper 10 r d r a p e r my last name all capital letters the numbers one zero and then the capital letter r big r at the end draper 10 r and you can get 10 percent off cytoplans food-based supplements a fascinating podcast today with an old verbing verbal sparring partner Spencer Fearon, who I hosted the Sky Sports Boxing Podcast with for three years between 2014, back end of 2016. And we're talking here, kind of an opportunity we never really got in a day, in a weekly podcast about the current events to, to reflect on the history of uh, some of the leading history figures. I did Sonny Liston with former Cruiserweight World Champion Johnny Nelson recently. I wanted to look at Jack Johnson, who was a spearhead, I suppose, for, for modern back, uh, boxing, particularly African-American boxers. First black heavyweight champion of the world in 1908. Son of slaves, born in 1878, died in 1946. A pioneer, broke through barriers, was um, a kind of uh, unrepentant character who, who broke any kind of social mores down, married three white women that we know of, possibly a black woman called Mary Austin as well, I traveled the world, ended up going to prison for a bit for, for violating the Man Act, which we'll talk about with Spencer here. But it was incredibly courageous and, and bullish character for his time coming from the American South as a black man and, and, and iconic and heroic, but then not necessarily revered as a hero by black people in America at the time because very much a rugged individualist, I suppose, in the the American conception, that idea of rugged individualism and, and about getting your best uh, and getting what you can for yourself. So it's it a fascinating conversation with the one and only Spencer Fearon, master knowledge on social media. Here it is. And we are recording. Spencer Fearon, welcome back to the podcast. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm really good. How are you doing, Ed? Yeah, I'm well. I'm well. Facing up to lock, lockdown 2.0, but it doesn't seem quite as severe. And in a way, it's it's almost becoming normal now, isn't it, to a certain extent? And it's a nice day here. It's sunny here, so it's you know kind of trying to be upbeat. Yeah. Uh, if you think about it, it's like with the lockdown, we are <laughs> we're, we're on lockdown. Seriously, that's what it is. But. Is, I don't think it's as bad as the first one because the first one was something that we wasn't used to. I think now we're, we're kind of becoming accustomed to the lockdowns, the masks, the social distancing. We're getting accustomed to it. So as we're getting accustomed to it, it's not that bad. Yeah. Although, we're, yeah, we're definitely looking forward to handshakes and hugs and, and looking forward to that coming back. I think Johnny Nelson put something on social media saying, it's about thinking about the things you can do. So that, that sort of, you know, spending time with your, your family, who you live with, and that's difficult for single people. But also, you know, we can do the exercise. I think there's limitations on how much we could even go out in the early lockdown, wasn't there? But now at least you can get outdoors and, and move around and, and try and kind of have an active yeah, Exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, mate, we'll talk about Jack Johnson in just a second. But what were your thoughts this week? I just wanted to get a couple of hot topics 
kind of your your take on as I always do and working together on the podcast before but first of all the Dillian White Povetkin rematch being called off with Povetkin struggling with Covid was that disappointing um, to you? A bit of a hard, it, bit of, it, bit of a disappointment it, to me. It, it was it was disappointing um, I spoke to Dillian yesterday mm. um, and he's still in good spirits um, and there's been loads of names branded around. I think Michael Hunt was one of the names that was branded around. Mm. Uh, Derek Sazora free fight was branded around. Um, and Dylan said, uh, having conversations with his team and, and people over at Sky and Eddie Hearn saying like, there wasn't much value in, in a fight with Michael Hunter because nobody don't know Michael Hunter. He's good and though, isn't he? It's a bit of a risk, I suppose, Hunter. It, yeah, it, it is. It's, 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 uh, maximum risk for minimal re- reward but I still mm. think uh, Dylan White would be victorious in a fight against Michael Hunter mm. uh, but because Michael Hunter is not the biggest of punches but Michael Hunter is very very well schooled a two-time Olympian so you know, I mean it comes from lineage as well his dad was a former NFBA heavyweight champion but he did well against uh, Povetkin as well didn't he Michael Hunter he, well in, in retrospect now you look back and think bloody oh that was because he did beat Povetkin mm. he just didn't get the decision and they mm. called it a draw. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's interesting. Dillian's happy to sort of sit and wait for the Povetkin rematch to come back around, is he? Mm. No doubt, because there's not going to be any other fights for him. Tyson Fury will fight Dylan White only if he has to fight Dylan White. Yeah. Not because, oh, it's a good idea, let's have a fight. Um, so, yeah, they've kind of run out of spaces and options for... for um, Still him, but he's in good spirits, so fair play to him. He's, yeah, he's a, tricky, he's a tricky opponent for Tyson Fury, isn't he, Dillian, I think? Um, I, think Dillian's a tricky, I think Dillian's a tricky opponent for anybody, but we got, uh, we got, you know when they say in, in boxing, you're only as good as your last performance, that's actually rubbish. Mm. <laughs> because Dillian's <laughs> a lot better than his last performance. Um, <laughs> and, and Tyson Fury's as good, if not better, than his last performance, so let's call it that. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to talk about um, Jack Johnson with you, but it's interesting because he was the Galveston giant, but he was six foot and half an inch. And, and Alexander Usyk, six three, and uh, probably good weight of 15 and a half stone. But people no, are questioning correction him. There, son. Correction there. Uh, he was six one and a half. Was he um, six Jack one and a half? He was six one. But you know what? Wikipedia we have, is wrong. <laughs> forget Wikipedia. Wikipedia. You know what anyone can write on Wikipedia? That's true. That's true. Right. So, no, he was. It was six one. Yeah, but it, but it's and, interesting. That Usyk's being questioned though, isn't he? Whereas for, for yesteryear, Usyk's you know a, a, a solid sized heavyweight. Yeah, but we're talking about we're talking how tall is Usyk? Six three, I think. Right, he's six three. Yeah. Uh, like I said on a recent interview, that I rate Usyk the light, the cruiserweight. I don't rate Usyk the heavyweight because right now you're dealing with men who are. Um, 18 stone plus mm. and you come in at, at 16 stone and guys leaning on you and stuff like that pulling it around or, or what was it 15 stone 8 there's a massive difference in it mm. so it, the, the game has changed but if you look at the time of Jack Johnson we're talking 120 years ago now yeah. so 120 years ago Jack Johnson was the Galveston giant because he was he was massive mm. for in comparison to the men that were around at the time. But if you look at it now, um, Jack Johnson would most probably, he'd be a cruiserweight because he weighed in at what, 100 and, 112 up to 120 pounds. Yeah. Yeah, he'd most probably cut the weight and do cruiser. So it's a what different would, different time. What would Mike Tyson what, do? What would Mike Tyson do now, Spence? I know we'll get, we'll get back to Jack Johnson, but what would Mike Tyson do now? Because he was what, 15 it's and still, a half? It's still be a heavyweight. It's still yeah. be, Mike Tyson would still be a heavyweight because uh, he's two, he was two fifteen at his peak. Mm. He was two fifteen pounds, and and Tyson was a tyrannical terror. So Mike Mike Tyson, if he was around now, he'd still be a heavyweight. Yeah. And I think Deontay Wilder to to because Deontay Wilder was weighing in certain fights two ten two twelve. Deontay Wilder was kind of uh, in comparison to to weight small mm. compared to a Joshua compared to a Tyson Fury but if he hits you right you're gone so <laughs> some, yeah exactly yeah, so Hunter, 
Yeah, champion always you say to me is not whether you're big enough, but whether you're good enough. And I think if you can hit like Deontay Wilder, then you're good enough. Yeah, and hit like Mike Tyson, maybe Usyk, Usyk can't hit like that. But let's talk about Jack Johnson, Spence, because I did a Sonny Liston chat with Johnny Nelson a couple of weeks ago, and I just wanted to go through... Well, is Johnny Nelson all about Sonny Liston? <laughs> quite a lot, it turned out. He was, uh, he was quite steady. No, I'm, I'm teasing. Johnny Johnny's... <laughs> yeah. Johnny but, but, I mean, Jack Johnson's... Because I, I, I watched the PBS America documentary on him, and obviously knew the history... Unforgivable Blackness. Yes, I think that was the one, yeah. And it was... Yeah, very good documentary. John Arthur Johnson, born though, Spence, 1878, 13 years after the end of the Civil War and the end of slavery in the United States of America. That's phenomenal, isn't it? His father and mother were, were slaves and, and his father fought in the Civil War. So to give it historical context, you appreciate what a trailblazer he was. Yeah, he was incredible. A very, very brave, braggadocio stern man but he wasn't actually for the black movement per se he wasn't mm. for civil rights jack johnson was benignly there was a there was a there was a close similarity between jack johnson and floyd mayweather mm. uh not just for the, are they would you call them capitalist yeah, people who, yeah reason that but they were selfish yeah they were they were they, they were selfish to the fact that we're not really going to be out there for this. Um, you know, it's like, if Jack Johnson was around today, he wouldn't be for the Black Lives Matter movement. You don't think? No, he wasn't. Uh, W.E.D. Du Bois um, couldn't stand Jack Johnson for what he represented. Yeah. Uh, they had different approaches. Jack Johnson profoundly would speak and say, I'm not for here, I'm not here for no one by myself. Mm. Hence why you got to think in 1908 when he became the heavyweight champion of the world yeah. uh, by beating Tommy Burns mm -hmm. in the 14th round, the police raided the stadium in Australia to cut the film footage so the lasting, the lasting uh, uh, view wouldn't be of a black man's superiority over Tommy Burns, who was the heavyweight champion of the world at the time. Yeah. Now, guys, prior to, to um, Tommy Burns, deliberately avoided fighting um, Jack Johnson. Yeah. And they would say, right, because the heavyweight championship is meant to be a white title. Because there was a period. black, there's a black that, championship as well, wasn't there at the time? Well, he was he was the first black he was the first black man to become heavyweight champion of the world. He wasn't the first black man to become a world champion. The first black man to become a world champion was George Dixon, who was a um, bantamweight and featherweight world champion. So he was the first man to do it. Mm. Uh, and we're going back, and that was at the, the the beginning of the turn of the century. But what right? was the heavy the heavyweight world title, Spence? To put it in context, was that was the most was the, big, the biggest thing ever. in sport, wasn't it back then? You know, that was a sport that unified the world almost. It, it was, it was the crown that unified the world. So I think when Jack Johnson became heavyweight champion of the world, he kind of uh, laid bed to the the theories on the ethos that that of white superiority. He he, he kind of laid that to rest. I mean, like the most prestigious prize in the whole wide world. Had, was was now belonged to 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 a black man, mm. so you know as I keep on saying all the time, it's becoming rather boring and cliche. There is no other race bar the human race. There's no next race to this. It's the human race. We're yeah. we're setting tribes, uh, and uh, but there was hundreds, yeah, hundreds of years of of thought arguing the other way that that he was fighting against. There wasn't there, I suppose, and people still yeah, are. yeah, exactly. So. What, what, what he encapsulated at that time was, it was incredible. Even though he vehemently was against, like, um, uh, black improvement and the civil rights, him just being heavyweight champion of the world was enough to think of black improvement or, 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 or black, black people to think of a hierarchical system that they could reach to or they could ascertain to. Him just becoming a heavyweight champion was enough. So he didn't have to 
be saying like, look, it, let's imagine when he put sometimes he'd fought, he'd fight for, uh, in in championship fights, and he had like thirty thousand people, forty seven thousand people there. Yeah, right. They yeah. were all going to see him lose. Even in Cuba as well, wasn't it? Yeah, when he fought. When it, he lost, same thing lost, in Cuba. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, when in Cuba, when he, uh, it was was it April nineteen fifteen when he lost to Jess Willard in Cuba. Mm. Um, you know, at the time he was on the run, so he was in London, he was in France because they wanted to send him to jail for for moving white women from different state lines, and it was a new law that was imposed, and it yeah. was imposed deliberately for him mm. because they just had enough of this black guy who was heavyweight champion of the world who was braggadocial, who has a famous story that he was driving his motorbike because he liked fast cars mm. and he was driving across state. And when he drove across one state, the sheriff in the town stops him and gives him a $50 fine. And Jack Johnson says, here's a hundred because I'm going to be driving just as fast <laughs> as I'm leaving as I'm coming back the other way. <laughs> That's the, and that, so, was the man, that was the man act, wasn't it? About moving yep, white yep. across. It was a man act and fair play. You know what? Fair play to Donald Trump because Donald Trump was the one that exonerated him of his crimes. In he's 2018, been, yeah. Yeah, 2018 he was exonerated. Imagine this. And the thing that's kind of shocking to me, Barack Obama was in power. Barack Obama and um, the Jack Johnson family um, lobbied to Barack Obama, thinking that we could draw on his compassion, seeing as you're a black president and, you know, you knew how things was a different America. And Barack Obama could have exonerated him, and he didn't. Mm. So it took Donald Trump and I mean who people have all of these opinions about Donald Trump that he's so bad he's this he's blah 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 he's a devil mark too and all the rest of it mm. but it was still him that exonerated Jack Johnson yeah he's certainly, he's certainly Trump's an individualist a bit like Jack Johnson and he'll do kind of what he he wants to do in a strange way to resonate exactly yeah. exactly yeah. but it's it, it's fascinating because you because you're saying that he, he's not a, a, a sort of proponent of civil liberties, but you wonder, if, you, you say he wouldn't be today, but do you wonder, was he just a pragmatist of the time living in a Jim Crow part in America where people were still segregated and separated? Was he just a realist that he wanted to just make the most? Do you think we judge him too harshly without having him here to speak to? I think America at the time then was, no, we're not judging him harshly. And what, bottom line is, you know what I'm saying this? I'm saying Jack Johnson was a badass man. Mm. Don't get twisted. Because for his benign bravery at the time when he became world heavyweight champion, mm. up and down America, remember that fight when he became heavyweight champion, that was in, that was in Australia, right? Yeah. But when news came back to America of this, they lynched black men up and down America. The... Wow. Um, right, the, was it the Washington Post or the New York Times? One of those papers wrote, their headline was that your win, meaning Jack Johnson, means nothing because you will always be beneath us. Your winners are nothing for the improvement of black people. Wow, and there's the northern newspapers as well in the States, Washington right. Post That's and so, New York Times. So yeah. we, we know the rhetoric of that time. The rhetoric of the time is not how it is today, right? Uh, but the, that was a rhetoric at the time. And that is a massive newspaper. Yeah. So you have to understand the time where, like, uh, black people that were in the doldrums, black people at that time were, you know, they, they, they had no liberty. Mm. You got to think, the Civil, the Civil War was in 1865. So then if you flip the page some 37 years later, the greatest prize in sport, which something that kings and queens come out to watch presidents come out to and all the rest of it, mm. the greatest prize in sport was now the possession of everything that America fed. They fed somebody like Jack Johnson for the fact that he just didn't care. Yeah, explodes so if, a myth. Yeah, exactly. He just didn't care. He didn't care. This man would, he would do things publicly that blacks would be fearful to do privately. Yeah. 
You know, Mar- um, Mar- married three white women, didn't he? He was a trailblazer. Married three white women. Yeah. I mean, it, right. sounds cor- it sounds corny, doesn't it, Spence? But he was a sort of trailblazer for, for love in that sense. I'm thinking about my friends who are, who are married black, black men to white women and, and white men to black women. That's, that's interesting that he, he was a trailblazer for that. I think, he was a tra- I think he was a trailblazer, but this is the thing. It was like... Of that time there, um, that's what makes Jack Johnson stand out even more. Because he didn't care about rules. Yeah. He would publicly mock his opponents when he was fighting them. Like, you hit him with a good shot, and he'd clap. <laughs> he was a counterpuncher. Was he a counterpuncher like Floyd Mayweather you mentioned there? Was that his style? He was very skilled, wasn't he, looking back at the old... No, he was, of his time, he was a defensive genius. Mm. Because how he honed his skills... When, remember, Jack was turned professional when he was 16 years old. Mm. Right, uh, there wasn't many. There wasn't that much opportunities for, for for black men to earn a buck. How he made his, how he became famous before turning professional, he would fight on the Royal Rumbles. Do you know what that is? No. Right, the Royal Rumbles is where they would blindfold young black boys to f- and put you in a ring. So wow. there'd be twenty of you, and it was like the last man standing. So the Royal Rumble that we get in the WWE today is. Mm. It's, it's, it's just a continuation of, that's where it comes from. It comes from when they would put all of these black men in a, in a boxing ring and blindfold you and you became the last man standing. And what happened was Jack Johnson became a master in, in that. Yeah. So his name was really on the circuit. So people knew about him. There's a really good book on Joe Gans, who was the first black American to become a world champion, world lightweight champion. And Joe mm-hmm. Gans would say, like, I heard of Jack Johnson because of, the Royal Rumbles, because on the Royal Rumbles, he became very famous for it because he would beat many guys in the Royal Rumble being blindfolded. Mm. And then what they'll do at the end of, um, if there were two men last standing, then they'll take off the blindfold and then you'd have to fight by Jack Johnson. They would do this for the entertainment of white people at the time. So it's a sad thing when you know the origins of these things, where they come from. Uh, and when you are on them, sometimes you can, it, it can anger you, but then also it gives you a, a rejoicing feeling as well that the world isn't the world back then. There's racism still that goes on in the world. Yes, there is, but boy, thank God mm. it's not like them days. Yeah, I mean, how, how impressive is it that he had that psychology? And I read somewhere, and you'll probably put me right if it's wrong, that he, his childhood friends, he had a, a gang of white boys in Galveston, Texas. And I don't know whether that, it empowered him into believing in inequality himself and realizing that the equality that perhaps black people have been told they weren't equal for so long that he rejected that individually or did it come from his parents? Do you know where he had that emboldened outlook to life that he thought I'm going to go out there and be every bit as successful as a white person? Well, show me your friends and I'll show you who you are. Mm. And you got to think your early childhood, he was fortunate enough, right? His parents were slaves, though. Yeah. Right? Now imagine, like, you're growing up, but you've, you've got to hang around uh, uh, white kids. Mm. Your, your mindset's going to change. It's like you. You grew up in the Caribbean, right? Mm. Yeah, well, for my formative years, yeah, my first primary school was in, in Turks and Caicos. Okay, then. So, so your, your thing of, of, like, racial divide, mm. you know what I mean? Mm. or ethnicity divide is going to be kind of less than, 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 than somebody who hasn't been in contact with other people. Because yes. when you're in contact with people, especially when you're young, you realize that mm. we are our environments and we do things our mothers and fathers do it. Especially yeah. like young kids, we do things because of what your, what your, uh, what your mother does. And if you think about it, mm. um, I would say, uh, and I think there was some psychologists did this recently that that white females are less racist than than white males. More empathy. Yeah, because mm. they're mothers, so yeah. they understand it. They get it. Yeah, everyone's everyone's a baby. They realize that. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Right, and and so you, you so if you if you if you look at it like that, then you want to think like, who's the first teacher on a child? 
So mm. I think the formative years of a child, you go look at your children and go to school. Mm. My kids go to school and like, they'll describe someone to me and they'll just say, oh, but they wear, they wear a blue coat. They're not describing their skin tone to me. No, yeah, my, my girl says curly hair if she's talking about a black girl. It's interesting. Exactly. Yeah. Do you get what yeah. I'm trying to say? They don't say, yeah. well, because you're... And, and, and that's the beauty. And it is somewhat within, um, within society, it changes because of other people's burdens. And what we have to try to avoid is just because something happened then doesn't mean that it's going to happen now. We should really, <clears throat> as Martin Luther King, you know, it's, it's a bit cheesy, but we should be judging people by the context of their character. Mm. But yeah. what we do, we prejudge, and that's when the prejudice comes in. We prejudge to think, oh, well, you must be like this because you speak a certain way. You must be like this because you look a certain way. You must be like this because you dress a certain way. Mm. That's not necessarily true. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting you say that, actually, because I've had conversations with people, with white people, and I'm sure maybe you have in, in the black community, with people you realise haven't been around people of, of other skin tones or whatever and realise that, that it means nothing, really. It's irrelevant, you know. All I need more than you is more sunblock in the, in the hot sun. That's about it. But it's, that's the only difference. And a bit more seasoning on your food, my friend. <laughs> I do. Well, I like, I like spice, to be fair. Oh, here we go. Oh, yeah. A bit of jerk chicken. No, it's coming chicken, out, yeah. it? I know, no, well, Mexican food, Caribbean food, I love it all. I love all the spicy yeah, stuff. But oh, it, like... <laughs> Indian food. But it's, um, it, 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 yeah, because you're right, because I had sort of different experiences growing up, actually. And I had, in the Caribbean, my two best friends. Well, I was best, I, I really liked, there's a black lad I was friends with, but I liked his big brother because I was quite physical and we used to go out and do stuff with it. I was quite big for my age at the time when I was five or six. And we used to sort of hang out on the beach. And my dad was very much ingratiated into the island community because he was the island doctor and would fly around on the plane. So we were sort of a big part of the community, I suppose, in that sense. And actually, for me, and then I had the polar opposite of living in rural England of, of you know, we had like one or two guys of Indian extraction, maybe one or two black kids of, of 300 kids in the, in the class. And then realizing that in our year group and then realizing why people, not excusing them, but why people had this sort of, perception because they didn't know it was ignorance and it was just the sense of you could talk about people being different because you didn't know because you hadn't realized they were just the same as you and you know and, and some people are good some people are bad like we've talked about they had nothing to do with melanin in your skin it was something completely independent like you say your character yeah 100 percent, my friend yeah but jack but jack johnson i mean how good a boxer was he do you feel it was excellent night night fletcher the the originator and editor of the Ring magazine said Jack Johnson was the finest uh, uh, combatant of the sport that he ever witnessed. Mm. So I would say that Jack Johnson on his day was in incredible, especially you got to look into the time of when he was fighting. The yeah. time of when he was fighting, it was just like, I don't know, 10 years prior, somebody invented how to throw the jab properly, which was Joel Gans, who was the first black American world really? champion. Yeah, yeah. So they... You know what I mean? It was more bruising and bomb burning and stuff like that and, and overhand rights and stuff. So he perfected the art of double jabbing, skipping around the rope, having a bounce with your step. Uh, that's what he revolutionized the sport to some, some extent. Which How then, many rounds were they doing, Spence? Were they doing like 30 It depends. Rounds? Sometimes there's up to 45 rounds of boxing. Oh, my goodness. So 45 right? three-minute rounds. Yeah, yeah. But I think his, his world title fight against Tommy Burns, which was December, it's a really easy one. It was Boxing Day. Um, it was at 1908 when he won the yeah. world title. Um, yeah, I think that was over 20 rounds. Wow. So 60 minutes right. boxing. Yeah. Normal, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And he won in the 14th round, so yeah. Uh, but he fought some great guys on, on the way, so to hold his skills, because they're great forgotten guys, like a man called Sam Langford, who's yeah. most, probably, most probably the greatest fighter ever to live, to tell you the honest truth. And that, that, that was contentious, wasn't it? It was Joe Jeanette and Sam Langford, two of the... Yeah, Joe Langford, Jeanette. He didn't, yeah, he didn't and fight. And there was also Sam McVeigh as well, who's a really good fighter out of Canada. He yeah. was a very, very good fighter. Joe Jeanette was excellent. Uh, Sam Langford, uh, he's a very true. They, they fought in 1906, right? Okay. And when Sam Langford fought, and I'm going by good historical knowledge here, that it was a newspaper, because it used to be a newspaper result. That's what it was. The newspaper would say, well, who's won, right? And they'll run with it. 
So it was who could ever get to print first would say you're the winner. Mm-hmm. Now, many um, newspaper writers said that Sam Langford won. Many newspaper writers said that um, Jack Johnson won. So it's the one that went to press first and it came out that um, over um, decision that Jack Johnson won the fight. But Sam Langford, who was also kind of disgracefully um, nicknamed the Boston Tar ba- Baby, you know what I mean? Or the Boston, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah right. Was that, by, was, that, was that by the media or by his? Yeah, yeah, by the media. Why, yeah. why would a black person want to call himself that, yeah. right? So even in, even in those days. But like Sam Langford was just an incredible fighter who, who went all the way from, he started off as Bantamweight, he went from Bantamweight all the way up to heavyweight. What? At the time what? when he was fighting Jack, at the time when he was fighting Jack Johnson, he weighed something like 170 pounds, so kind of pounds way, yeah. to, to, to Jack Johnson's like weight, so, and he was he was an incredible fighter. How, so how did he go from bantamweight? Bantamweight is like 120 pounds or something, is it? Up to that's right. Yeah, that's incredible. 180 pounds all the way up. Yep. Wow. It's a different time. We're sport these days. That's what it is. We're just sport. <laughs> but yeah. How tall was he? How tall was Langford that he was, could do? I think Sam Langford, 5'8", I think he was. Okay. He just, he just got really stocky as he went up. Yeah, he just went, got really stocky. But he was effectively a super middleweight when he was fighting at heavy, in that sense. Yeah. yeah. But in saying that, so was Tommy Burns. Tommy Burns weighed 168 pounds when he went in and fought um, Jack Johnson. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. And th- but this, another big fight was the 1910 one, wasn't it? About James Jeffries came out of retirement, former undefeated heavyweight. James came out of retirement. He lost 100 pounds that he spent. Is this true? Because he, he, he was really, really fat. Wow. And he was offered an amazing amount of money. And what was that? That was, that was July 4th. So you can't forget that when that fight happened in 1910. Yeah. And they, they really thought in their mindset that, that, and this is where the terminology of the Great White Hope came from. Mm. Because he was meant to be the saviour of America. Yeah. Um, yeah. So but he retired, didn't he? He retired in the fight. Yeah, he retired. Well, his corner men pulled him out of the fight. Mm. Because he was getting badly beaten. He was getting badly humiliated. And, and, and yeah, they had to pull him out. But then, was it 909, Stanley Ketchell, who's one of the greatest middleweights of all time. Stanley Ketchell was bad. One of my heroes, Stanley Ketchell. Yeah. And they dragged... They dragged Stanley Ketchell up to fight at heavyweight. Mm. And Stanley Ketchell gets annihilated. But after three floors, Jack Johnson, Jack Johnson gets up and throws a swinging left hook and knocks him out, but also uh, his, his teeth, Stanley Ketchell's front teeth, are embedded in the glove of oh. Jack Johnson. And you got to remember, back then it was like, it was... It was horsehair in the gloves. Yeah. And the gloves that you had were, they were like four ounces. Wow. Four? Right, today, so that's, today the same, that's, the same as, that's the same as UFC gloves, isn't it? Yeah, exactly yeah. the same. Yeah. Wow. Right. And they do 30 rounds with four ounce gloves. <laughs> exactly. That is, that is unreal, isn't it? In terms of what they yeah. went through. And what was the footwork like? Because people think that footwork's relatively modern, but Jack Johnson had some pretty good moves, didn't he? From what no, I- Jack Johnson had incredible footwork. Yeah. Incredible footwork. He would, like, he'd faint, meaning like he'd push his front leg forward to think that he was going to attack and raise his arms. He would extend his left arm and control you just with his left arm. So he'd be extended and put that on your head and you couldn't attack him. And then from there, he'd throw right uppercuts and he'd pivot away with his feet. Jack Johnson was an incredible fighter. Uh, Jack Johnson is like, on, on later fighters down the years, like if we looked on guys like um, Ezra Charles, mm-hmm. who was world heavyweight champion in the 50s by uh, solidifying the, the crown by beating Joe Lewis, but Joe Lewis was old at the time. But Ezra Charles, if you go on box rip today, Ezra Charles is ranked as the greatest fighter of all time. Really? Yep, even a go quick, go check it. Even based on, based on, would you agree with that, right? That rating? Would I agree? I would agree for the men that he fought at the time that he fought. Hmm. Uh, he was a light heavyweight fighting heavyweights. Uh, he was part of the murders role, so maybe so. But he he had 
similar footwork. And so did Jose Joe. Jose Walcott is the closest comparison I could say to footwork to Jack Johnson. Because mm. um, Jose Walcott would shuffle with his feet. It would slide in and out. And then he would, sometimes he would jump in and out with his feet. So the closest comparison I could say to the footwork of Jack Johnson in a heavyweight, yeah. I, would, I would say is Jose Joe Walcott. And then, and then he lost in this fight in 1915, didn't he? In, in Cuba, that sounds like unbelievably hot affair and, and things. I'm not even going to make no excuse over that. For the first time, you've got to think, Jack Johnson is a bigger man. Yeah. Well, most of the guys that he's fighting, when he's fighting like the black guys like George Jeanette and Samuel Bay, he wasn't the bigger guy. He was around about the same size. Mm. But here now, he's fighting a white guy. Younger guy as well. Physically, right, he's physically bigger than him. He was financially broke at the time because, remember, he went out to Europe to hide from not going to jail for the Man Act. Yeah. Right? He got offered uh, money to fight in Cuba. And a lot of people said, oh, well, you know what? It was a fix because he was kind of bossing Jess Willard and then ran out of steam and then gets knocked out. Mm. But I like to look at this. If you're in that kind of... You're in that situation... I just... And he was 37 at the time. Mm. I just think that he just had enough. Like, he yeah. gets he gets caught with an overhand right, and he's down, and you can see him blocking the sun from his eyes. So people, loads of people, I remember Don Duffries, who was a very very famous sportscaster in in the in the in the in the fifties, sixties, seventies, and Don Duffries said, of course he could have got up, he could have gotten up, right? Yeah. He, he took he took a deal with with the government so he could be let back into America. Um, that was conspiracy not, theory, wasn't it? Yeah, that he, yeah, yeah. But I'm not, but I'm not agreeing with that. I believe that he was just spent. He was like to hell with this. Yeah, he was spent. And he ended and up having to just Willard, who was taller than he, who outweighed him by 18 pounds yeah. to fight the way that he could fight. Um, there was nothing special about Jess Willard. He was just a tough man. The cowboy, wasn't he? The cowboy. Yeah, said, yeah. yeah, he was. And Kansas. I think that's. I think what was that? That was that was April of. of yeah, I, got it. I think yeah, I think he just had enough. That's what I believe. Yeah, April the fifth, nineteen fifteen, and he had ended up serving time in prison, didn't he? Back in the US. Yeah. Yep. He had to because he still sentenced to 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 one and a half years in jail for the Man Act, which he did. And then after that, he 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 continued boxing. He did exhibitions while in jail. Yeah. And and he carried on boxing. He carried on boxing. He carried on boxing for another. Um, what was it eleven years? So, and then he, but he carried on doing exhibitions in sort of bars and clubs, didn't he? As well, I think, yeah, deep into yeah, his sort of fifties. Yeah, yeah, and you got to think. So fearful was the fact of uh, what Jack Johnson represented. Mm. Um, white America didn't have another man challenge for the world title for nearly thirty years. Really. Because the next man to challenge for the world title after Jack Johnson as a man of colour was Joe Lewis. Yes. Yeah. And Joe Lewis, who was who's managed by John Roxburgh, and John Roxburgh was a famous numbers man in America. You know, numbers is like the lottery. Mm. <laughs> right. He was oh, okay, a numbers yeah. yeah, he was a very wealthy man from Harlem. He was he was a wheeler dealer shaker mover, right? Yeah. But with Joe Lewis, Joe Lewis could not take pictures with any white women. This was his contract. Wow. Could not take any picture of any white women. Could not raise his arm over a defeated white opponent. Who, this who, 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 who decreed this? This was a white promoter, was it, who decreed this? No, 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 no. This is what his management, he's black, he had black managers. So if you think, Joe Lewis was very, very revolutionary. Yeah. Because Joe Lewis had white management. I'm sorry, black management and a black trainer. But, but he was, but people would argue that he was more amenable to, to white society. And he was almost a reaction. When you look down the heavyweights, it's fascinating, isn't it? Their, their place at the summit of, of culture as the heavyweight champion. There's almost a reaction. They're almost interconnected, aren't they? If you, if you trace them, talk about this with Johnny, how Joe Lewis was a reaction to Jack Johnson in lots of ways, so that he was a, well, a counterpoint. Well he, well, he was. So they think, all right, then, well, all right. We can't get another one in there because you know what's going to happen, right? Yeah. So Joe Lewis did everything in reverse of Jack Johnson. Mm. So he played it down to be this humble, this humble. You know what? Next thing is this. Um, I said a book that I read about Jack Johnson that you'd see certain guys like Joe Lewis, because Joe Lewis is very fair skinned as a black person, right? Mm. 
So white people could actually see themselves inside Joe Lewis. The brown bomber, yeah. Yeah. The brown bomber. You could see yourself. You think, well, he's not that dark. We must have some you must have some white blood in him somewhere. <laughs> Jack jo yeah. I'm just being real. Yeah. Jack Johnson was the polar opposite to the simple fact he was a dark skinned, gold toothed, bald headed mm. black man who was an assassin. Mm. White people couldn't assimilate themselves of what of that time, could not assimilate themselves to see anything of Jack Johnson that they they saw in themselves. So they saw Jack Johnson and they were very fearful of Jack Johnson. It's marrying John one Lewis, woman. Well, it's breaking up, breaking up society, really, by doing that marriage. Yeah, of course he was. Yeah. Yeah. So Joe, Joe Lewis, in comparison, was this, you know what I mean, this handsome, brown bomber, um, softly spoken man who had to play, let's just say yes or no, sir, and we'll be okay. But if you think about what he represented, on something that we speak about now, like the lack of diversity or the lack of black management, Joe Lewis's manager and trainer were black men. Mm. Yeah. So something like, you know, like sometimes you don't have to speak, you know what I mean? But just look behind you, you know what they represent. So, and also, uh, I think it was in 1938, yeah, it was 1938, uh, in 1938, he was approached by, um, he was approached by Jack Johnson. Mm. And Jack Johnson wanted to work in his camp. And, yeah. and Joe Lewis's camp said, no, we don't want nothing to do with you, my friend. Because he was seen as controversial. Yeah, you're too controversial. We know what we're trying to do. And us being around you, that ain't going to help our cause. Yeah. Yeah, what and a time. Then, it's not that long ago, is it? And, and, and right, exactly. And, and you go into Second so, World War. It was so, it was so hurt by it. This is, this, is very, this is true story. It was so hurt by it that he went out and he helped Max Milling defeat Joe Lewis. Wow. Right. <laughs> yeah. So he's an individualist to the, to the last, wasn't he, Joe? To Jack the last. Johnson. Yeah. The last. Yeah, that's... I mean, he's such a powerful character and the, the historical legacy fascinates me. I was listening to... I don't know if you, you heard it. People may listen to this and have heard it. Costello and Bunce's podcast. They had Chris Eubank Jr. on the phone recently from his camp with Roy Jones Jr. in the States, in Florida. In Florida. And they asked him about the Black Lives Matter movement, the ramifications, the reverberations, and what his reflections were in terms of boxing in the States. And he said, well, boxing's a black sport, isn't it? Would you say? This is what Chris Eubank Jr. said to Costello and Bunce, Mike Costello and Steve Bunce. And they said, well, you probably, you could make that argument in the States, but not in the UK. When you look at our world champions, there's a, there's a split and a mix. Whereas in the, in the States, you could argue that. And with that in mind, the amount of black champions, do you think that that's because of the legacy of Jack Johnson? Um, of course it is. Mm. It is, and sometimes we, 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 we don't even know that we are tied, we have a binary to the legacy and the history that that man put down. But what I have to say is, like, Jack Johnson was fearless. Yeah. Right? He was Muhammad Ali way before Muhammad Ali. Uh, yeah, Ali was inspired right? by him, wasn't he? he? He referenced him. Yeah, of course he was. Ali was inspired. Ali was inspired by him because... You know I mean, Ali said that he's one bad Negro. That's what Ali would say. <laughs> like, yeah, he said, well, they like, stood up to society, didn't they? In a way that is almost unimaginable. Like even nowadays, you can't imagine people standing up to society. We're all we're all quite often compliant, I think. Um, we are, but you know it goes. As soon as you you're, you're non-compliant, then you're then you're non-working because they'll get they'll find a way to get rid of you. Mm. But um, I think they would they 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 ain't gonna build. They're not going to build a black man like Jack Johnson again. No. Seriously. Because Jack Johnson broke all the rules. Right? Yeah. So do you think Mayweather's the closest thing we've seen to him then in terms of his contentiousness? I think, no, no, no. Not, 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 I'm saying the closest thing to Jack Johnson when it comes to like, I don't give a shit about nothing else. I just want to do my own thing. Mm. I think Mayweather's the closest to that. Yeah. Um, I don't think there was any... With with um, with Jack Johnson, I don't think there was any form of I'm going to do this and like maybe in years to come I'm going to be enlightening of black people. No, I don't think he was thinking that neither. I just think he was a very selfish human being. That mm. him being selfish made him selfless because he inspired the generation to come after him. 
But he's kind of the American dream as well, isn't he? That, that capitalist idea that you get out and you make your own success and you make your own profit because his purses were big, weren't they? Was it $65,000 he was getting for five? Back then, that's yeah. mad, right? Yeah. I yeah. It's a couple of million by modern money at least. Yeah, oh, easily, easily, easily. Mm. But yeah. he would spend money <laughs> vehemently, but yeah. He was also, he's also a trailblazer in that capitalism because he was endorsing products as well, wasn't he? And things like that, which was in running nightclubs and everything. He was a sort of entrepreneur. Yep, spirit. yep, yep. Trailblazer in that, in that, in that regard. And the tragic tragedy of his death as well, it's, it's quite often the case in sports people who are in high-risk professions. They have bizarre endings. He died in a car crash, didn't he? But there was a sadness to it as well because the, the anecdote that I read was that he was in a rage following being rejected service at a diner in the south of the States. You know what? Sometimes when I hear these stories, like, you want to you take the truth or do you want to twist it with a lie to make it sound more poetically sensed? Mm. I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. But what Close to the truth is good, isn't it? If we can get there. Yeah, exactly. I'm saying, like, what, what, he, what he stood for to become the first man of color to win the biggest prize in sport. He just wanted to do whatever he wanted to do. And because of that, then I have to respect him. And because of that, I'm saying like, there's only a couple guys' pictures in my house. Mm. One being Muhammad Ali. One me as well? <laughs> no, that was actually Winston Churchill. Oh, really? Wow. Right? Not because and everyone, oh, Winston Churchill was racist. No, because Winston Churchill, it has to be one of the greatest orators that's ever walked on this planet. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And he was a man, right? for, man for his time, wasn't he? A limited man, but in, in his time. That, that it, was, was, it, was, it, was, it was badass. It was, I don't business. I don't care what. Yeah, yeah, of course. He was a racist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, cool, cool, cool. But he was badass. Mm. Um, so Winston Churchill and the other one being a guy called Marcus Garvey. Yeah. So, um, but if I did have a space to put up another picture and we move house next month. So when we move house, then I, I got my own little man cave. So mm. when the man cave's up, then I just think it'd be fitting to have Jack Johnson put up there as well. Oh, man cave. Fantastic. That's a dream, isn't it? That's the dream. Oh, tell me about it. <laughs> but, that, but, but his legacy, I mean, in the heavyweight legacy in America, how important was it? Because you the Civil War ended in 1865, but civil liberties, civil rights weren't really granted officially fully until, eight, until 1965. So it's a hundred year stretch, but within no, that wait, time... wait, 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 1965, you're saying civil... Check this one out. You're not listening to your, well, well, the civil rights movement. So we had to go yeah. on a movement just for white people to be civil to black people. Mm. Civil, do you know later, what the word yeah. civil means? It's just to be polite. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So you had to right? polite, so, society, polite and, society, and, yeah. and the civil rights don't mean shit because we're still not polite to have and I'm saying across the whole globe, we're not polite. Human beings are not polite to each other. So the civil rights movement was a was a was a was a folly to fool black America. Mm. And it's still a folly today. Mm. Because I can't believe in today, in today, that we got movements like Black Lives Matter. Mm. Well, yeah, it's why, getting, why? It, it's scary that we're not we're that far from a meritocracy still, and you know, have fair world. Exactly. 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 If you like, if you like sport, I think I always say this: that if you believe in sport and you believe in fair sport, then you should believe in that in life as well. I think you know we all want to start. We want to know that if we succeed, we want to know that it's for the right reasons and on our own merits. I think is the key. And if it's if the game's skewed for us or against us, it's it's not uh, well know, not fair sport. We have to when you when you truly understand that of racism. And that it has been, it's been designed mm. and it's taken centuries to design it. And all we're doing now is just living out what's being designed for us. Unless you try to break the mold and then people are going to look like you're crazy because you're breaking the mold. Or if you speak about it, then, oh, you've got the chip on your shoulder. Or the craziest thing is that like you speak out against racism, then what will happen is people who do not understand racism, who do not, who have not been, uh, uh, subjected to racism mm -hmm. will will turn around and, and call you racist. Yeah. And also you, or, 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 also you can be ignorant to racism. I have to count myself in this because you're not aware of it, aren't you? Because you're not receiving it. So you can live in an idealized world where you're not. Well, that would have something to, to do with European privilege, wouldn't you say? Mm. Yeah. 
Because if you speak to any, if you speak to anybody of color, they'll turn around and they, they know what racism is. Well, that's why you have, to, they, talk, that's why you have to talk to people. Isn't it? Exactly, and as soon and this is what I'm trying to say. As soon as you start speaking about it, then you realize that there are issues that need to be addressed, and there are issues that are people are trying to address it, and sometimes it's not the best way how they're trying to address it. But at least it's starting to be addressed. But I cannot believe that we are in the end of of 2000 and 20 mm. going into 2021 and we're still speaking about this nonsense yeah and all all isms and we've talked about tribalism begetting all of these isms sexism ageism racism xenophobia nationalism whatever it is you know it's like we want to get rid of, of all the isms uh, and racism being a huge one as well it's, it's it's kind of strange i think that we don't just judge people individually on their merits and we can't get to that point but like you say a lot well, of it's fear a lot of it's fear and self-interest and yeah of course yeah. it is but as soon as we as soon as we realize the truth that we're all being played blacks against whites mm. you know what i mean muslim versus christian Protestant versus catholic as soon as we start realizing we're all being played against each other by the power structure yeah so it's by the power easy. structure yeah the better that we shall be yeah and we are all being played right because there is no difference to me to anybody else and vice versa yeah. by that of our righteous and pious deeds yeah but well, when we're doing righteous and pious deeds we can't be doing them to say that we are being self-righteous at the same time but yeah. we meant to do things because it's the right thing to do not to virtue right. signal yeah that's the, that's another thing yeah in, in modern yeah. society isn't it you do it you do it to be seen rather than do it for the right reasons where the motivation is key i think is you know do it if, exactly imagine no one's watching what would you do is, is the key i think to yeah to how you can do yeah. it cynics they say that we, we need aliens to come down and, and start a fight with us for us all to unite that's the sad thing right, about look, human beings but <laughs> look, it's funny that you say that because we was about, I think a few a few years ago on letterman um, former president of America, Bill Clinton, said exactly the same thing. Did he? He probably knew that they asked him as well, though. <laughs> That's yeah, of course, yeah. He, he doesn't know there, there's, there's, there's such things. Because if you saw, I don't know if you saw recently on Sky News, well, not recently, it was about six months ago now, that yeah. the, the alien sighting in America. Of yeah. The, 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 yeah. Exactly. So the Pentagon on. announced, they actually announced in the middle of the pandemic that they found uh, cr crafts not of this world or something, didn't they? Aircraft. Right, exactly. So, but well, we knew that anyway. Anyone with any intelligence, you can't feel like this this small planet and that's it come on man let's be real yeah do you do you, if we just bring it back to boxing do you have reverence and nostalgia for that era of johnson and muhammad ali and in the, and the 70s and, and the importance that the heavyweight and, and boxing generally played in society it's not to diminish anthony joshua's influence i know he's got a huge following well, and, well, and tyson and tyson fury but it seemed at that stage that these were the you know up there with kings and queens in the world yeah um, i it was up there with kings and queens but not only that those men stood for something. Jack Johnson stood for something, even though he was very selfish in what he stood for, but he still stood for something. Yeah, um, ambition. Uh, Muhammad, Ali, Muhammad Ali was unapologetically black. Mm -hmm. Okay, remember, he was in the nation of Islam as well, so phew, they had some, some really strong views, but uh, those men stood for something. Today, it's like, when you're a black man and you reach something, don't say something too much because you're gonna upset the white power structure. So they won't say what they really want to say. But I know if I sat down with most of these guys and we're having conversations, it's going to be a totally different conversation than you're going to get from TV because they're thinking to themselves, well, you know what? I need to earn that bread. And in order for me to earn that bread, I need to appeal to these certain people. Mm. Now, you have to realize is this. If, you know, if these certain people are watching you, that means that you have the power. And if you're paying to them, that means that you're giving away your power. When you, when you were being put in a position of power, you have to enlighten other people and whatever purpose is it that you got that position. Yeah, why have the platform not to... Why, why have the yeah. platform? Why mm. have the platform? And of course, when you're going to start off and you're... And you're of course, it was like, who, who was it? Bundini Brown said, of course, the, 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 taste, the taste of truth is bitter to a belly full of lies. So obviously, at first, you've got you to be like cod liver oil. You've got to be just like that. And it tastes disgusting, but you know it's clean out all the gunk that's inside of you. So yeah. sometimes you just got to go and be brave enough to speak truth. Yeah. But no, then also you yeah. got you got to be smart with the truth as well. But you got to be brave enough to speak truth. And there is no bigger platform than being world heavyweight champion. Tyson Fury's taking up the cause. You saw him recently. He was saying like travelers' lives matter, and he was out protesting about mm. certain travelers who got um, uh, uh, removed from going into a restaurant. 
So Tyson Fury went out and he lobbied for for mm. the travelers, saying travelers' lives matter. Yeah. But yeah, the same thing. Andy Joshua went out and he read a question off of a piece of paper. Was it his thinking? It was a question. So I was doing a QA. He read a question and he got on he got crushed uh, yeah. on social media. And please get you know taken. Well, right social, me social media is not social media is not a good place, it's particularly Twitter with a number of characters to discuss that kind of thing. Because you take a snippet and it, it goes viral and Yeah, of course. Yeah. But they snipped it in a way that he was saying, like, look, all black people should buy from black businesses. Mm. And they twisted it. And they came out, and they came out in their groves to destroy Andy Joshua. Mm. I'll never buy another Andy Joshua fight again. And I'm not saying that he was wrong for, for or right for reading out that question, but he went to show his support to Black Lives Matter. Another guy who got who, who got tarnished on over on social media, who's the nicest human being that you can ever meet, um, is Joshua Boatsy. And Joshua Boatsy said, "There, Black Lives Matter, and I'm tired of seeing black people get killed in America by the police." Mm. Right. That's what he said. There's nothing yeah. wrong in that. Because yeah. what do you think that does for any black person? You turn on your TV and see this black guy died, that black guy died. This black person gets shot. That black... You have to... Why is that all up a second? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. So... Yeah. So... But when you, when you speak about it, and if you're looking... The thing about it is this. Just speak where you have to speak. Whether they love you or they hate you, speak truth. Mm. But yeah, he came out and said something, and he got the onslaught. And then Joshua Bryce, he rang me up, and he said, oh, man, you know what? When you used to speak about racism and stuff like that, I used to think, oh, you know what? You've got a chip in your shoulder. And now that I'm experiencing it, you are right. And I said, of course I'm right. I've been here on this planet a little bit longer than you, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Yeah. And, I, and yeah. I understand that you have certain people. I'm trying to say this. So you've, you've got certain people, people in general, white people in general, they just want to go to work earn their money, look after their household. They're not interested in nothing else. Their main focus is just to do that, right? Most, most people, that's the thing that we realise. Most people are living their day-to-day, -day, aren't they, trying to get through that? Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right? But the hierarchical structure is blatantly racist. Mm. And that's that. You Cla saw when Cla Stephen Cla Rose... Arguably classist as well, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, of course it's classist. And that's the yeah. part of the ist, isn't it? Right? Mm. That's still part of the ist. So, like I'm saying... I'm saying to most folks, just, just open up and, and wake up and to, to not to be off of the bush of what we're speaking about, but Jack Johnson was an incredible human being. They don't build anyone like that anymore. Yeah. To be brave enough to go speak their mind in the way that it is. And, but what I am saying, I am seeing the spirit of Jack Johnson live that in so many different people. So many, like, Wacky Phoenix, when he came out and done his speech at the Baptist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? I had to salute that, man, because you don't have to use that platform for that. But, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. And I think that the Johnson context is incredible to get. He was literally, you mentioned the lynchings, in, in visceral danger, you would, you would imagine. So to him to do that, to have the bravery to do that, not just to be shunned and, and not make money, to actually, you know, potentially have his life in danger is, is incredible. And I think he's, for anyone that wants to feel courage, and I think it's always why I've, I've never boxed, but drawn to it is that is that example and that distillation of courage that just to get into a ring, you know, to to face that fear is that primal fear is is always why it's inspiring. But for him, you know, it's it's multitude of, of bravery on, on, on multiple fronts. And I think it is it's a phenomenal story. Well, Spence, I appreciate you speaking to me, mate. Uh, no, thank man, you very great, much, man. Thank you very much for calling me on. No, you great. take care, God bless, brother. Yeah, Bye, speak, mate. Speak to you soon. Lots of love, Spence. Bye, mate. Well, I hope you liked that conversation with Spencer Fear on check out him on social media. Philanthropist does a lot of charity work as well, but a sage analyst. I think he works for now for some of the shows, the MTK promotional shows. I think some of the analysis goes out on ESPN as well. So he's a, a master sort of tactical kind of observer of boxing, but also history-wise, fine detail. I was actually looking at some notes while he was going through some of the details about some of the boxers mentioned there, and dates were spot on. And really impressive depth of knowledge. I must have a photographic memory, but the, the seismic uh, figure that Jack Johnson was, I think hopefully came to life through Spencer's words there. And, and the sort of duality of him as a pioneer in lots of ways, as a black man from the American South, he became heavyweight champion of the world. For, formerly, it was about the, the colored champion of the world is the terminology that was used at the time. But he broke through that, became universal heavyweight champion of the world at a time when it was, I believe, the most revered title in the whole of sport, a sport that unified Europe and America, 
and a lot of the world could could empathize with it and see that that simplicity of the primal simplicity of fighting and who was top top person um but it you know the the, the complexity that he wasn't necessarily celebrated by black people because he didn't give other African Americans the opportunity to fight for the title because he felt he had more money to make made from fighting the great white hopes as they were called. Uh, but yeah, I hope you enjoyed that podcast with Spencer Phil and let me know if so, if you can write a comment on iTunes, fantastic. I'll read those out on the podcast. Potentially I'd like the way that Mike Costello and Steve Bunce, the BBC boxing podcast do that. Maybe I can add that in uh, social media, Ed Draper 81 on Twitter, Ed underscore Draper 81 on Instagram. A Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham, thank you to them and Serene AV, sponsors of the podcast, specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations. Check out Bang Olufsen Cheltenham's website, get all the contact details. If you're looking to uh, increase your entertainment options at home, your audio options with, I suppose, dancing and singing might be a way to get through the next lockdown. Mine, we've actually got a fire pit. We borrowed a fire pit for the back garden and have started, uh, we had some sparklers the other night out there and gathered around the fire, really cool starlit night, frosty November evening. And really cool to be out there and, and trying to kind of embrace different things that, in the lockdown, which we did last time. And I think there is opportunity in some of the constriction and we're lucky that we're healthy, of course, as well. And that I'm still employed. So that's a huge thing. I appreciate that as well. Uh, so I hope you are well. Uh, food-based supplements, if you're looking to optimize your immunity, head to cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-M.co.uk. We've been taking them as a family for two decades, really believe in the in the help. It, it can enhance your, your immunity and optimize your immunity. The terminology, I believe, is correct. Is Draper10R, discount code there for 10% off, D-R-A-P-E-R-1-0-R. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you can rate it on iTunes and the platform you're listening on, very much appreciate that. But I hope you have a great day and a great weekend. Thank you, guys. Goodbye for now.